Welcome to the ECT podcast series, engaging with the researchers working on the long-term field experiments in ECT's national network. Good afternoon and welcome to the Wardlow Haycock long-term field experiment here in Derbyshire where I'm visiting with Gareth Phoenix, the principal investigator for this long-term experiment, who's based at the University of Sheffield. Good afternoon to you, Gareth. Good afternoon, Ben, and thanks for coming out to Wardlow Haycock today. You're very welcome. Can you tell us a bit more about when this experiment started at Wardlow and a bit more about the history and purpose? Yes, certainly. Uh, So this experiment was started way back in 1990 by uh, John Lee, and the aim there was to study the impacts of atmospheric nitrogen deposition, so, so the pollution we get from the burning of fossil fuels and, and, and cars and, and also from, from agriculture. So John set up experimental plots where he applied applications of, of nitrogen solution to, to simulate the nitrogen pollution that comes from the atmosphere. Then, in about 1995, an additional set of much larger plots was set up by Jonathan Leake, Partly because if you know you want to run a long-term experiment and you've got small plots, you need more and more material to go at in terms of taking plant and soil samples. So Jonathan Leake had the insight to set up larger plots, and those plots have been continuously treated since then. So we here we are, 30 years on from the original plots and 25 years on from the setup of the the larger plots, and so Wardlow Haycop is the, as far as I'm aware, is the world's longest-running ongoing nitrogen deposition experiment on a grassland ecosystem and we've got two grasslands here where we're stood at the moment is the acidic grassland and as we just go 150 meters uh, around the brow of the hill there we get on a limestone grassland so from a science perspective and a conservation perspective as well it's, it's great that we've got two contrasting grasslands that are just a short stroll away from each other. Excellent. And in its earliest days, it was part of a larger family of experiments in a major national project, wasn't it? Yes. So a few years ago, the biggest initiative that was funding a lot of these experimental nitrogen deposition sites was was the DEFRA Ucrate initiative, the terrestrial umbrella. I think there were nine field sites that were part of that. Many, of course, are part of your ECT now. And before that, even uh, the forerunner of DEFRA were also supplying contracts to some of these sites to run these nitrogen deposition experiments so yeah there's a real sort of family of sites that that this site has been part of and still is with some of those sites still going and can you describe some of the scientific impacts from this research here at Wardlow and also the policy and societal impacts yeah absolutely so so what we've found with these grasslands is that the nitrogen deposition does cause a decline in biodiversity both grasslands shift to becoming more grass dominated or in the calcareous where we have grasses and sedges they become more grass and sedge dominated and it's the forbs that that lose out so we get a decline in abundance of the forbs and and so you know in many respects that the species that are perhaps of some higher conservation interest are the ones that 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 we're losing out And, and so the conservation value uh, the grassland declines in those plots that have received the experimental treatments of, of nitrogen uh, deposition. And we also see other indicators. We've had soil acidification, and that's actually a lot of probably what's driving the decline in biodiversity. You know, you get less biodiversity in more acidic soils. So the soil acidification 
is causing the biodiversity decline. And there's other indicators. So in the soil, we get base cation depletion, which is an indicator of a decline in soil health. So it's a broad spectrum of both the plant response and the soil responses of the negative impacts of atmospheric nitrogen deposition. And amongst the policy impacts, work on critical loads has harnessed results from this experiment, has it not? Absolutely. So the Wardlow Haycock limestone and, and acidic grassland data has always been fed into those those policy initiatives so for the contract reporting and of course it, it, with, with the big Ucreate network of sites we're feeding into the data into the setting of critical loads for these ecosystems and of course also contributing to the big policy focused reports like NEGTAP the National Expert Group on Transboundary Air Pollution and the, the more recent version of that ROTAP the Review of Transboundary Air Pollution which was again commissioned by DEFRA so they're the big sort of go-to policy focused science reports for the impacts of atmospheric nitrogen deposition on well all, all ecosystem types across the UK. So your work here Gareth is covered by a NERC grant at the moment what are the next steps for the research here? Well I think there's two aspects so at the moment we continue to treat the experimental plots so we're continuing to look at the long-term impacts of the nitrogen deposition those largest plots that I mentioned that were set up in 1995. In 2005, we split them in half down the middle and only treat one side of them. So we've now got kind of a paired tr ongoing treatment with recovery monitoring. Uh, and, and that's important because what we, what we find actually is even though the new nitrogen status of the soil can recover reasonably quickly in maybe about five years, the, the floristic diversity does not recover. It, you know, even 15 years later, a lot of that floristic diversity still hasn't recovered. But the other thing I, I think you get with these long-term field experiments is using the manipulated plots for new studies. So the NERC grant that we have at the moment that's helping us to, to continue this site, we're actually looking at the effects of increased atmospheric CO2. So what we've done here is we removed intact soil turf monoliths from these experimental plots that have had these long-term nutrient manipulations and then we've taken them to another, a more accessible site in, in the Peak District at our university's uh, environmental research laboratory. I've got an outdoor CO2 enrichment experiment, a FACE experiment as they're called, which FACE stands for free air CO2 enrichment. And we're basically seeing how these different nutrient manipulated plots from these different grasslands are responding to increased atmospheric CO2. Uh, and that is actually delivering on an IPCC key knowledge need that we don't know how these type of grasslands are phosphorus limited, I should add. Ba basically, their productivity is limited by the amount of phosphorus nutrient availability in the ground. And the IPC has identified that many of our ecosystems around the world that are phosphorus limited, we don't know how they respond to increased CO2. And that nutrient limitation from phosphorus restricts the ability of these ecosystems to grow more under elevated CO2. And so it restricts the ability of these ecosystems to take up more carbon and take more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere as we continue to pump it into the atmosphere. Uh, and so that phosphorus limitation is limiting the ability of these ecosystems to help stop runaway climate change. But what we didn't have is any understanding on that for phosphorus limited ecosystems because lots of the CO2 research had been done on nitrogen limited ecosystems and here we have grasslands that are phosphorus limited and not only that they've had this 20-25 year history of nutrient manipulation so we could see how phosphorus limited ecosystems respond to elevated CO2 and how also that response is modified by their nutrient status. So 
We talked earlier about how this site had a long history and, and, and a lot of the Ucreate network of sites had a long history of feeding into DEFRA policy and understanding a nitrogen deposition. Key aspect here is that actually you then have this value of this long-term nutrient manipulations that can be utilised for other key environmental questions that, that, that come along, such as us now delivering on this IPCC knowledge need that has a global implication. And almost needless to say, those turf extractions from the plots are not disrupting the integrity of the plots for future research, are they? Absolutely not. I mean, that's one of the good reasons that, that thanks to Jonathan Leake for, for having the insight to set up very large plots back in 1995, <laughs> we can go in and take the, the, the sort of 35 centimetre square monoliths out of the plots and you, you've still got the vast majority of the plot left intact. And we've been very, very lucky with Natural England being very supportive of the science we've wanted to do up here over the years. Uh, we're also very careful that we don't do anything to, to really harm the grassland, but we've had a really nice working relationship with Natural England that the science is important. And as long as we're not doing anything too, too drastic, they've been very happy for us to use this site for science. Excellent. And with your mention of new studies, are you looking for new collaborators from the UK ecological community? Yes, we welcome anyone that wants to come and work at Wardlow. We're quite handily located actually here, being in, in the Peak District, we're quite central. So it's, it's reasonably accessible from a lot of different places and there's still plenty of questions that could be answered up here, including answering those questions such as how well will these sites recover from this long history of nitrogen pollution that, that, that they've had. But, but, but more broadly, if, if people are just interested in acidic or, or calcareous grasslands outside the experimental plots, this is a great site to work on. Thank you, Gareth. Listeners can read more about this experiment on ECT's website. But to close, Gareth, can I just take the opportunity to ask you what your opinion of the value and importance more generally of long-term ecological field experiments is? Yeah, I think that comes in a three general really important points. One is we don't know, can't really understand the impacts of environmental change on ecosystems unless we run our experiments for long term because environmental change is a long term thing. Climate change is with us for the long run unfortunately and things like pollution, okay we've got a handle on it now in the UK but it's still higher than we want it to be. These environmental change pressures are there for the long run and we need long term experiments to understand how ecosystems respond in, in, in the long run. We also need them because actually the control plots, the non-manipulated plots, they make actually great long-term monitoring sites. And on long-term monitoring sites, just so we can see how ecosystems are changing with our changing environment are really important to have in place. And okay, there are great long-term monitoring networks, but we mustn't forget that our experiments that have plots that are long-term monitored uh, can also contribute to that. And the third key reason I think that we learned recently with this CO2 experiment is you never know what value your plots might have in the long term for answering a different question. We don't know what the new environmental pressures or challenges or science needs might be 10 years down the line. And we, we may well find that our experimental plots, because they've been kept going, might be there absolutely ripe for answering a key question in the future. So, so they're very important for that as well. Well said, Gareth, and thank you very much for hosting us here today at Wardlow on a very rainy, grey, overcast day in Derbyshire. Yep, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ben.